This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morena, New Zealand. Uh, Good morning to you all. It's 9.03 here on SENZ. A really busy uh, and diverse sort of a Tuesday, to be honest. We're covering the spectrum today. Uh, Phil Tautarangi very shortly on uh, the wash-up from the Ryder Cup. Brendan Bufflaney, genuine rugby hero around the world. Uh, he's with us at 9.30. Stephen Perafeta doing great things for Taranaki. They're having a top season uh, just after 10 o'clock. Uh, and after 11, Scott Sattler, uh, an SEN brother of ours, uh, and also uh, a father and son combo. The Sattlers, who have won the NRL Premiership as father and son. Only two, uh, sorry, only seven. Uh, have done it. One guy's done it twice. One guy has been able to do it twice with two sons. Uh, Mount Rushmore, uh, top four goal kickers in rugby, rugby league, NRL, whatever you like. Top four goal kickers. That's our Mount Rushmore for the day. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I'm not really a huge UFC fan. I'm more of a KFC variety, to be perfectly honest. I've always looked on in amazement as grown men and women pummel each other into submission using fists and knees and feet to the head, an area of contact many other sports are aggressively steering away from these days. Promoter Dana White, he's a genius though, you've got to hand it to him, he makes a fortune out of it and never raises a sweat. I will build it, being the octagon, they will want to come and I will go to the bank. So the recent ones... Uh, the recent news that Israel Adesanya will no longer fight out of New Zealand hardly put me off my cornies, to be fair. Pra- practically in this modern era, doesn't it make sense anyway? You have to travel to make the big check. Why not be there in the first place to prepare? It takes a lot of stress out of the whole deal. I would have thought, ask Dan Hooker. Dozens of dozens of Kiwis do it every year. Make the sacrifice to chase the goal. Remember them, Israel. They're the ones who don't seem to have the right to come home, or the infrastructure either. Dan Hooker, true New Zealander, is very frustrated. Also considering the move, but you can hear in his plea a genuine desire to keep fighting for New Zealand. It's in our DNA, he says, part of our culture, and we're gonna push through no matter what. He loves MMA. He wants to see it flourish, but he's had enough of not being able to foster that through his business. Unfortunately, Dan, you are for once in the majority here. Take a drive around Auckland and see how many doors are closed, see how many others have ceased to flourish. And by the way, gents, 
it's not just the individuals in the minorities who don't have the ears of the bureaucrats, the ones who don't get the favours. Have you heard of the Warriors? Have you heard of the Breakers? Have you heard of the Phoenix? Vent your spleens, sound off all you like. I, I really don't think those who could possibly help you in your plight give a rat's proverbial. The ones with the perfect, non-mangled ears don't seem to be prepared to listen. Nine oh six here on SENZ, and man, uh, I've said it and I'll say it again. Uh, I just love the Ryder Cup. I love the spectacle of it. It never lets me down, even if it's pretty much a one-sided contest. It still still has so much drama, so much emotion, and I'm sure. Uh, and my first guest this morning enjoyed every second, every single shot of it, every second of the coverage as well. Uh, Phil Tolterangi, good morning to you. Did it live up to all your expectations, Phil? You're assuming that I, of course, had some hard-earned on the American side, Smithy, when you uh, were backing the European side. I didn't enjoy every single minute of it. I did watch <laughs> quite a bit of it, but I didn't enjoy it in the end. <laughs> it was, um, look, hey, let's, let's be honest. Uh, uh, they play, had to play catch-up right from almost uh, the first match and uh, the whole of the, the event. Uh, Europe were playing catch-up golf, which uh, for them has been a bit rare. Yeah, good call, Smitty. Not not so um, out of the norm was that the American team took a, a lead out of that first session, 3-1, straight out of the gates of the foursome. So they kind of stamped their, um, I guess, their intentions uh, on whistling straights and certainly on the European side. But they've done that in the past. The European team, however, have generally found ways to fight their way back into the competition. The, this past few days, however, the door wasn't open. Uh, it wasn't allowed to be open. Uh, there was no creeps in the in the US team. All the the the, the banter that uh, has been swirling, all the chat that we even had last week, that there might have been, um, you know, some some challenges with the US side to galvanise. It looks like they used their indifferences actually to come together. And um, and and look, not every time does the team that's favoured on paper actually come out on top at the end of the competition in the Ryder Cup this particular year, the, the, the rankings of the American players and the way that they played and the way that they teamed and paired together in the team competitions, I think reassured everyone that maybe the world rankings are pretty accurate. Who was the leader on the, on the course for the Americans? Who was the standout for you? Oh, Dustin Johnson, uh, five Five zip. Um, every match he went out, every session. He's the oldest on the European. I'm sorry, on the American side. Hardly an old guy, 37. But mm. um, you know, I guess points to the youth that, that are on that uh, American side. And I think when you look to the future, if you go, geez, if that's the um, the bulk of the US team over the next, you know, decade or so, if they're all in their mid to, to late 20s, then um, maybe we're um, the, the, when I say we, the the rest of the world with the President's Cup and the, the European uh, side in the Ryder Cup uh, are up against it here because they, they certainly team together. And I think actually they brought up a really good point. I was listening to Colin Morikawa after he was um, uh, dusted off because he was paired with Dustin Johnson very impressively in the, the foursomes play. Um, and, and he said, look, we're, we're all kids that just grew up playing together. 
you know, they're all around that um, 25 to 30 age group for, for a lot of them. When you talk about speed, you talk about um, Justin Thomas, even Bryson DeChambeau, Colin Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, a little bit younger than the, the rest. They all kind of grew up playing junior golf, college golf, amateur golf. They're now finding themselves all out on tour having similar sort of success. You throw in Patrick Cantlay there, of course, because he's had a pretty decent season. It's kind of all part of that mix. And, and you know, the, I think that the bulk of the team there felt like, hey, this is just, they've played junior rider cups, they've played walker cups together. They were very familiar with each other. So I, I think the, you know, the, the pairings that Steve Stricker put together were pretty easy in the, in the grand scheme of things. There may be a couple of players that he was scratching his heads on, but you know they they gelled together. They continued the form that they've had throughout the course of this um, past twelve months or so, and I think it was a classic case, maybe, um, of you know when shotguns miss the target, they're just about as useless as every other gun that you might put in your hand, but when they hit, they can be lethal, and, and that was pretty much the case for um, for the big guns for the US team. So who, who uh, on the other side then of the coin, who, who was a letdown? Who, who was a major? Uh, McElroy comes to mind foremost. Massively, massively. Um, not only did he you know, not have a point on the board until his, uh, his, his singles yesterday, and we'll get to that maybe of that emotional interview in a, in a couple of seconds, but he pretty much stunk it up in the, in the team play. He was paired with Ian Poulter a couple of times, um, and neither of them could could strike the energy. Um, they couldn't. They seemed to every moment that there wasn't a match where they were one down and they could turn the momentum, or that they were one up and they could, you know, add to that lead. They just couldn't make the putts. Um, McIlroy was kind of wayward with uh, with the driver in hand. It looked like he was out of sorts altogether. With and then the, the emotion that that poured out of him being the first match out again. The, the one that had the team entirely on his shoulders, it felt like the entire week, even though he wasn't the captain. Um, it, it seemed like he felt like he'd let the team down. He ended up getting the, the first point on the board and then basically the floodgates opened. It just felt like either either Rory was putting way too much on his shoulders or there's something else going on behind the scenes that we're all not aware of at the moment and, and that was a distraction to his play. Uh, yeah, look, uh, I mean, the Ryder Cup, well, I just try to close my eyes and imagine it. Um, that's probably, for me, one of the sporting events that I wouldn't say would be a massive flop or let down without crowds, but uh, it it just would be so far away from its core, it wouldn't be funny. Yeah, look, kudos to the PGA of America and the European Tour for delaying this a year. And, and to be able to have crowds, yeah, most definitely a one-sided crowd with the, the travel restrictions and not many Europeans being able to get across it. I was actually talking to um, to a colleague of mine in the media room with our, um, our little golf show on Saturday mornings, and he had said that some of the European fans had actually flown into Mexico, had a couple of weeks on holiday then uh, down there, and then made their way to Wisconsin to ensure that they were there. So the European fans that were on the ground it certainly um, had this in their crosshairs for a while, but it, it was most definitely a um, a very one-sided crowd, and, and at times over the top. And, and look, that sport that that's uh, that's to be understood, and, and you, you're expecting that if you're one of the European Tour players. But 
I think, and I, I mentioned this, how much of actually sport is about the crowd. And I've got to believe it's a big part of it. Um, you know, I think some of the players in some of the other codes have talked about it when they're playing in an empty stadium, although they, yeah, they're still competing and they're, they've got a job to do, they didn't realise how much of the energy that they draw from the crowds. And, and I think golf is, is no different. And you're right, Smithy, this, this, uh, this particular competition here, yeah, it's playing golf and, and no one's hitting each other. Um, and it's an individual sport that, you know, kind of comes together as a team sport. And so, you know, that's a different dynamic. But the crowd play a huge part in it. Even the buffoons that, that take it too far, they play a part in it. And, uh, and it's a great spectacle for, um, for sports. So, you know, it, it, it reveals sportsmanship in, in some ways and the lack thereof it in, in, in other cases. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a massive, massive combination of, of, of competition and entertainment all mixed together. I really like the selection of, of Steve Stricker because, um, you know, it would have been, it's very hard when you look at the personalities within that uh, American side and you look at your, your feuds, your outgoing things like your Kepkas and yeah, the Shumbos and then the, the high profile of the players themselves. It would be a mistake, I think, to try and pick a captain amongst that lot who was going to try and dominate. Uh, and Stricker just did the right thing. He stood back, he sat back, he walked the fairways. Um, you know, he, he got in the, in the cart to catch up with players. He stayed right with his last player to the end while the others were celebrating. I think Stricker did an admirable captain's job in that respect. Well, he did, and he had a couple of pretty big egos as his vice-captains as well, Smithy, and I, I think that can't, can't be under, underestimated. I mean, you, you want that experience to come in like a, a Fred Couples, a Jim Furyk, who actually was on the receiving end in Paris, remember, a couple of years ago. Mm. Of course, Phil Mickelson and David Slavin are no slouches. Mickelson was the year that he's had, and he always tends to dominate um, the scene, uh, if, if not Tiger, when Tiger's not around. It, it, so he, he did a, a, a tremendous job of not only managing the 12 players that he had on his side, but I guess setting up the, the captains that he brought in that said, hey, you guys have got resumes way bigger than mine. You've, you've been way more influential in this team um, format than I have. You've been there as captains before, successfully and unsuccessfully. Um, I want you to help out with just this. And, and what you'll notice, Smithy, if you're watching a fair bit of it, when you've got major champions, Hall of Famers, uh, vice-captains or, or previous captains, did you see much of them? Um, you, you really didn't. And, and so I, I think Steve Stricker did a, a, a tremendous job of, and a, I, I guess Brooks Kipps came out a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, the, the Ryder Cup is, is a really finicky, kind of funny kind of tournament because you don't get to really prepare how you normally would for a major championship. I think what Steve Stricker did is he took that on board. That feedback wouldn't be new to him. And he stripped back, less team meetings, less commitments, actually let the players just do their thing. And, and as we talked about at the top, basically if you've got the best players in the world, you let them do their thing, they're most likely going to play like the best players in the world. Leads me to a text that's just come in from JD. Uh, Smithy, could you ask Phil if he thinks Ian Poulter is a future European captain? I've, I'm thinking when rather than not if. Yeah, correct there. I, I, that, that's another a lay down was there. I, I'm I'm not so sure whether he's done. Um, got his got his extra win yesterday, so he has yet to be defeated in singles competition. Ian Pelter. I'm not so sure whether he's done. I, I think he there, there may well be one one more lap in him. 
Um, he will have to earn that, earn that with his play over the next couple of years. But he's absolutely hands down a, uh, a future captain for the European side. And look, they're going to have a, an interesting little run here. I think the European Smithy, not only with trying to find twelve players um, and some young guys. You remember this is the first Ryder Cup that's no Mickelson and no Woods since the early 90s, and they've been the guys that have not only been the egos that have, have, have dominated the the, Euro, uh, the US team room, um, but they've been the guys that all the media attention has been on. How are the best players of their era going to perform in team play? And for the most part, Mickelson and, and Woods haven't been anywhere near as good in the Ryder Cup as they have been in their own careers. And they haven't carried the US team. And they've stepped to the side. And the next generation have come through and we weren't too sure how they were going to go in this competition. I think it's pretty clear how how they have gone. So now the the ball's over there in, in the European side of the court. Where are they going to find the next generation of players that are going to maybe step in from the Garcias, the Westwoods? Poulter, of course, is going to step aside at some stage here in the future. The Paul Casey's that are in the mid-40s. Those guys that have been there, done that for a long period of time, and maybe coming to the, the last furlong of this competition, and are they going to be able to find Morikawa's? Um, are they going to find Steve Thomas's, Cantlay's, those sorts of players to be able to step in and become their future stars? They've certainly got one in John Rahm. They've certainly got one in John Rahm, and he's going to be a Sergio, a Sevi, a Jose Maria for the next decade or more. There's absolutely no, no question about that. And he showed that over the last uh, three or four days. But are they going to have a supporting cast around them? That's going to be uh, the big work on, I think, for the European team over the next couple of seasons. They're probably going to have to come as European players out of the PGA, aren't they? If you look at those, those, both those two teams, pr- primarily, uh, you look at a guy like uh, Wiesberger or Wiesberger, who's a slight exception to the rule, but by and large, those, all those Ryder Cup players are grounded in the PGA and they get that hard-nosed attitude uh, from there. So those young European players do have to come from there, don't they, by and large? Yeah, I think that you're going to find a couple of um, players that you're not so familiar with in the future here. The, the Hoygaard uh, twins, in actual fact, have just won on the, the European tour in back-to-back weeks about a month or so ago. Um, they're exciting young players. Um, I think you'll find uh, a, a couple more players who maybe have had the comforts of the European tour find their way either through the Corn Ferry Tour or playing in, in, in World Golf Championships, major championships, earning their way to the PGA Tour. And I, I think the, the message will be very clear, um, albeit an unspoken one, an unwritten one, a very clear one, that there are opportunities for young players to um, to take a step forward. If they can do so on their own, of course, they do that for two years on their own. Um, I think a, a, a big future, there'll be some gaps, put it that way, some uniforms up for grabs um, in these, uh, the European uh, team room um, in, in future Ryder Cups. The next one, of course, in, in Italy, Smithy, it's, it's during the Rugby World Cup. Um, and Ooh. so those people that are planning to go over there, I know Beaver has, uh, has certainly got his eye on being in, in Italy. Um, so that's going to be right around the end of pool play was when the next Ryder Cup's going to be um, in, in Italy. So a couple of huge competitions over there. And then the the Ryder Cup in four years' time, of course, this being delayed a year with uh, with everything that was going on last year. 
the Ryder Cup in 2025 is going to be in New York City and uh, at Beth Page Black. And so that will be a massive, massive team competition, that one there. Gee whiz, just finally I sense an amazing Phil Tautarangi guided SENZ tour uh, to uh, the World Rugby World Cup and the Ryder Cup. Phil Tautarangi, the driver, I can see it. I'm listening, Smithy. I'm listening very intently, mate. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's <laughs> fingers crossed that, uh, that yeah, look, people can travel in groups and all that sort of stuff here in the coming yeah. uh, in the coming years because that's, uh, that sounds like a fair bit of fun. Phil and, Phil and Beaver through Italy. I just love it. Phil and Beaver through Italy. Hey, mate, all the best. Thanks very much for your, your input, and uh, we'll hear from you on uh, Saturday morning, of course. Tee it up with Phil, as usual, here on SENZ. Thanks, Millie. Cheers, man. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.28 here on SENZ. Uh, thanks for joining us on uh, Mornings with uh, Ian Smith uh, through to midday. Uh, 88.33. is our text number here, 0800 150 811 is the Dino from Dunedin Hotline. Uh, look, plenty of things to talk about today. Um, you wash up on the Ryder Cup, yeah, the Israel Adesanya, Dan Hooker plea for more from our government, basically. Not from the country, but more from our government. Um, do, is it warranted? Will it feel, fall on deaf ears? Looks like the latter. Uh, and here's another interesting one as well. Uh, John has come up, John Day has come up with our Mount Rushmore concept for today, and that is. Uh, on the wake of Geordie Barrett's great kick to win, and Alan Houston, we've had him on the show, etc. Uh, Stephen Donald, of course, is part of the team. Greatest goal kickers. Greatest goal kickers uh, that you can remember. Uh, and it doesn't have to be rugby union. It can be rugby league. Boy, they've they got some fine ones. How about the NRL? How about those guys? Uh, how about penalty kickers? Uh, sorry, NFL. NFL as well. How, how about penalty, uh, the penalty uh, kicks as well from uh, footballers? You know, can you... It's actually kicking for goal, I guess you could say. Um, I, I, I'd more tend to lean towards rugby, NRL, NFL. So who are your four as you think about it uh, through the sport that you have watched over the years? Uh, also coming up uh, later in uh, the show this morning, I'm really looking forward to talking to Scott Sattler. Now Scott's part of our SEN family. He's uh, in Australia, a regular league correspondent as well. Uh, and him and his dad, John, uh, have the, the honour, really, of, of being one of only seven fathers and sons combinations in the great history of uh, the NRL, or the ARL, as it used to be called, of uh, both winning premierships. So, uh, how do they approach it? And, by the way, uh, Scott Sattler, he won his with Penrith. John Sattler won his with the Rabbitohs. So, how appropriate that we talk to them uh, later this morning, uh, around five past eleven. So, looking forward to that. It's news time here with Trudy. Really busy time in the world of rugby, both domestically and internationally. And joining us uh, to talk about the All Blacks, a bit of super rugby NPC as well as former Otago Highlanders and Scotland fullback Brendan Buff, Chainsaw Laney, a terrific man, um, and uh, really, I would imagine that he'd have looked at that game in the weekend and scratched his head to a small degree at least. Uh, Brendan, good morning to you. What did you make of the 100th Test match? 
How are you, Smitty? Good to talk to you. Um, yeah, look, uh, was well, a bit of a shame that probably, from a spectacle point of view, didn't live up to what uh, what we thought it would. But um, when you look at intensity and and in uh, a, a test match, you probably couldn't ask for more in a, in a way. Um, but gee, was um, you know the amount of mistakes that the All Blacks made. Um, you know, whether that was through pressure from South Africa or, or not, um, I don't think we've seen the All Blacks make that many mistakes um, in a test match in the last couple of years. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shame from a spectacle point of view, but um, it probably were. I think we were over-expecting it to be a big 50-point um, bonanza, but, uh, you know, look at the end of the day, South African tests just aren't like that, and especially this one. Um, so, look, I really enjoyed it. It was great to watch, and, and, and the fact that it was so much pressure. But, uh, yeah, spectacle-wise, we're probably a wee bit disappointed. Brennan, if you look at that game, uh, I think everyone knew that uh, South Africa would, would kick the spots off the ball, but uh, I'm not sure that everyone thought that they'd kick it off, uh, kick it, the spots off the ball in such attacking situations. Can you believe the, the, the amount of bombs from uh, de Klerk, uh, you know, inside All Black territory? Oh, that was the crazy part, really. I remember I sitting with a mate of mine uh, watching the game, and as soon as he put a couple up in the 22, we both just two men and looked at each other and went, what the hell is he doing? Um, it just seems to be a thing that's built into them at the moment. That it's, it's, I just don't understand why they don't want to use the ball, because it's not as if they've got some guys out wide in particular that are actually quite handy with ball in hand, but they seem to have played that style for quite a long time built that they, they can't get, seem to get away from it but and we've probably been a bit spoilt in a way New Zealand rugby wise that we like to play with the ball in hand and throw the ball around and it's something we're really really good at um, I just thought it was quite disappointing for, from a speed but then you go back to the Lions test uh, series as well Smithy they did exactly the same thing didn't they they, they kicked so much ball away and, and really Watching that test series was as boring as bad shit, wasn't it? It was bloody awful. Um, and, 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 you know, it just showed you that Africa rugby have just got this thing at the moment that this is the way we're going to play the game and um, and we're not going to deviate. Now, we've got a test match this weekend. It'll be really interesting to see if they do. I see Joe Moody last night sort of chatting about, you know, he didn't even feel like he got a sweat up because it was so stop-start and... And um, I think a lot of that had to do with the way the South Africans played it. So, um, you know, from a from a real rugby perspective, it was really a real shame to, to see the guys do that. And um, you know, and some of those kicks weren't the greatest either. But you know, they were poor kicks. Um, you know, I know you can make a poor kick into a good kick with a good chase, but um, and they put a lot of pressure on um, our back three. And I thought, you know, Geordie Barrett was outstanding. Um, um, Bridge will have uh, Jordan didn't have the greatest game under the high ball, but um, you know they they just kept on persisting with it, and, and it was as if they were going to do it come hell or high water. And, and um, but yeah, I'd love to have seen them throw the ball around a bit more because they've got they've got players in their team that are capable of of playing running rugby, but they just don't seem to want to do it. Jordy Barrett is he now uh, undisputably our, our best number fifteen? I, I, I personally think he, he is, um, and that's no disrespect to, to Damien either. Like, 
he's an outstanding footballer. Um, unfortunately for Damien, he's getting chucked a wee bit in the 10 and in the back at fullback, and, and at the moment he's probably a wee bit confused as to what position he's meant to be. Um, and I suppose the situation sort of dictated that with not having Richie around either. So um, I feel a wee bit for Damien in a way because he's good enough to play both positions. He's got that utility tag around it, but Geordie's, you know, his goal kicking second to none. He's way ahead of the rest of them, I, I feel. He can kick from distance, which is a massive plus for us. And it proves that on Saturday night. And um, he's just fantastic under the high ball. Um, I I don't think he's a winger himself. He's been put on the wing for the All Blacks. He's done a really good job of that. But I think fullbacks is best Aussie, and 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 he's, he was our Super Rugby. Or the best Super Rugby fullback um, for me, anyway. Um, and I'm I'm glad to see him back there. I know that Goldie and a few of the other boys quite like seeing Damien back there. But I think Damien's a guy that could come on later in the game and and maybe split them open out of broken play. And um, I just think uh, that Geordie and fullback's just a bit, but um, just a bit above everyone at the moment. And, I, and and it was just great to see him have a good test match there. One of the ironies about it is sometimes we, we tend to pick our fullbacks uh, in his particular case because probably he's the most proven goal kicker. Now, if you throw Richie Mawunga out of isolation today, uh, back with the group in full training con- uh, context, if you throw him in uh, at the weekend, would you throw him, uh, Richie Mawunga straight in or would you throw him in off the bench? I think he'd have to come off the bench. That's just my personal view. Um... To be fair to Richie, he's, uh, he's had a bit of a break, which has probably been quite good for him in a way, but I think he's been itching to be there. Um, and, you know, give him a, a fair, fair crack at it too. He, he probably needs to come off the bench and get a bit of, rain, uh, bit of training under his belt. Because, uh, you know, look, it has been a big break for him. But, um, look, I, I think you'd have to say that he has been our, our form first five. Um, and his goal kicking's been of a high standard, and he's been our playmaker for, for quite a while now, and he, and he deserves to be in that team jersey, and that's taken nothing away from Bona Barrett either, who's an outstanding rugby player. Um, but, you know, he was our form. Uh, they, they picked their top 15, and they made Richie a 10, and, uh, and I don't think that plan's changed too much. But it also depends on their opposition too. I think that's one thing the All Black selectors do look at, don't they? They look at who they're playing and they say, rightio, we're going to do it and put this plan in place and we want these type of players to be playing that. And I think Damien comes under that sort of umbrella as well, doesn't he? Um, they try and look to play a certain style and use a certain style of player in a certain situation against a certain opposition. So, um, yeah, look, I think Richie will, should come back off the bench just to give him a fair crack at it too, Smithy. Interesting, uh, if we look uh, away from the All Blacks, um, all of a sudden news is just filtering through that uh, Warren Gatland, who was the head coach at the Chiefs, is now going to take up a director of rugby position with them, and Clayton McMillan, uh, who coached in his absence and also coach of New Zealand Maori, will be the hands-on head coach. What do you make of that change at the Chiefs? Oh, look, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, look... Gats' record stands for himself, doesn't it? He's, uh, he's obviously a fantastic um, coach slash manager of people, and he's, he's got the proven track record. Um, and you know, regardless of the result in, in Africa, 
Um, he's he's a damn good coach. Um, and, and look, let's be honest, um, he's an older coach. Um, you got a guy like um, McMillan, who's who's just a top man. He's got a he's obviously got some real results with the Chiefs this year, which is outstanding. Particularly when he got put into a, a, a I suppose a caretaker role for one of the better words. Uh, he's you know he's done a great job. You know he's uh, just a, a top guy who relates well to his players, and and they enjoy um, the environment he's created. So um, and, and look, Donk's always said that he's wants to learn off Gats as well, which is which is uh, you know really exciting for him too. He's got a guy like Gats um, sitting above him and, and and giving him some guidance as well. So you know I'm sure they'll they'll have their discussions like all coaching teams do. They won't agree on everything, but um, they certainly uh, he'll certainly put his point across. And, and you know like I said, he's he's had a good deal with them this year and got them to. To a final that, that at the start of the year probably no one was expecting them to, to get. So um, I thought he did a great job, and I, and I think it's a great great uh, opportunity for for the Chiefs region um, with the new coach per se in there. Um, he's been around the environment for a couple of seasons now, and, and they know what he's uh, what he's like. But he's young, he's keen, and the players are responding to him. So I, I think it's a real positive to be fair. Just finally, uh, Buff, I've I've uh, been fascinated. I've loved it. We've been we've been hanging out for live rugby to come back to us through this latest lockdown, and we've got we've been getting it. Uh, of course, Auckland, North Harbour uh, counties have been frustrated by the whole deal. But uh, away from that, it's been really interesting. Taranaki, the only unbeaten team left in the NPC. Uh, what about Otago this season? How have you rated them, and and what about the future for them? Yeah, no, it's been great. Hey, I've, I've really missed it, mate. Boy, uh I love sitting down and, and uh, watching my, my footy, and, and I know there's a lot of people around in the same boat. Um, and, and yeah, it's been great seeing a couple of the teams perform. Taranaki have uh, had a bit of a lean season last year, and they've got some good footballers in the side, so that's been really interesting to watch. Um, Otago didn't have a great Shield game. They'll be pretty disappointed when they played Hawks Bay. They'll be fair, Smithy. They've done really well to retain it as well, haven't they? They've been outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll be bloody hard to beat, to be fair. Um, I'm sure you'll be pretty happy about that. But Otago, um, yeah, they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to really perform in this next couple of games. And um, and look, they've got a they've got an exciting side. Actually, um, they've had a couple of guys who have been injured and have come back. And and uh, I think they've got a couple of guys in that team too that have, have decided to head away elsewhere to Super Rugby that maybe want to prove a bit of a point as well. So. Um, I'm excited by Otago's uh, prospects, but gee, they're going to have to put in a couple of good performances in the next couple of weeks to get them on board. Brendan, always good catch up with you, mate. Uh, appreciate your opinions. I hope uh, Christchurch is treating you well at the moment, and uh, we're all looking forward to the opportunity of Cup Week, and I know you are because you just don't mind a, a little trip to the races, do you? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit gutted when- news yesterday to be fair but well, fingers crossed um, my punting's not the best mate so if you've got any tips please send them through <laughs> good on you good on you mate will do uh, always good to catch up there folks that's uh, Brendan Laney of course um, fantastic uh, fantastic right fantastic rugby guy there easy epitome of uh, a rugby guy chasing the dream for me Otago the Highlanders then Scotland uh, you know and, and had terrific career um, and quintessential quintessential Brendan Laney.
Uh, it's at 9.45 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got plenty of texts coming in. A lot of you looking at your top four goal kickers across the codes. Uh, interested in reading some of those out. Uh, and also uh, a multi. Yes, a multi before 10 o'clock. The SENZ. 9.50 is uh, the morning's time. And uh, it's also time for read out a few of your texts. And uh, we've got you going on the, the top four goal kickers uh, of all time. Uh, Daryl Halligan, Matthew Ridge, Dan Carter, Lee Halfpenny. Uh, that's an interesting one. Hadn't considered him. Neil Jenkins, of course, Welsh. Uh, absolutely. Dead eye Dick. He was just fantastic. It's still part of uh, most uh, of those Lions setups as well as a goal kicking coach. Uh, Wales, of course. So uh, still heavily involved. Neil Jenkins, yeah. Uh, what about uh, Hazram El Masri, Rugby League, Daryl Halligan, uh, both Canterbury Bulldogs, of course, Daniel Carter and Mornay Stein. Uh, I personally, says uh, Reese from Dunedin, think that from a technique and ball striking perspective, that NRL kickers are way ahead of rugby kickers, much, much more uh, consistent as well. Uh, another one has come in no particular order, Halligan, El Masri, Fox, Carter. Halligan, Fox, El Masri, Wilkinson. Uh, so there, there's a lot of um, variation there. As soon as we come up with these, uh, come up with a good one today, John, in, in terms of getting people involved. So uh, yeah, uh, it's it's amazing how they just can continue to pour in um, with subjects that that are dear to you. And how about this one? How about this one? Hayden Parker. Hayden Parker, hands down, coming in. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, so prolific with Otago. Then I think he went to the Sunwolves and he kicked about 40-odd in a row or something, didn't he? Hayden Parker, just a diminutive little man. A bit like Lee Halfpenny. Just tiny dudes with big boots who just don't miss from anywhere. I think it's quite a common theme there, Smithy, that Hazamel Masary was quite a shorter guy as well, and that's definitely one that's coming through a lot. Um, when you picked your top four, Smithy... What kind of what went through your thoughts? Was it a consistency, or was it like if your life's on the line and they're kicking for your life, um, is that the guy that you want um, kicking? Did you go across rugby league, rugby union, NFL? I mean, what what was your thought process? Well, it was it was about uh, strike rate. I think that's important. So I, I think your strike rate, but then you've got to throw into strike rate proximity to goal. Uh, how difficult is it? Um, and that's why I, I look uh, very carefully at the NFL uh, because predominantly they're straight kicks aren't they from various distances they're straight kicks but then again you have people running at you big bodies running at you at 100 miles an hour you rely on the guy uh, who's setting it up for you to hold and place it uh, correctly and timing is of the essence there and the occasion so yeah I factored that in uh, I look at a, a you know I looked at the rugby league kickers and I agree uh, I agree with uh, Reese. I, I do believe that uh, by and large uh, I think they're probably a little bit more consistent these days. So your Cameron Smiths come into it, uh, those guys that kick under pressure. Uh, so, John, that, that'll be uh, of interest to me is how people view it across the board, whether it's just those guys and the big occasions. I mean, my first memory of a goal kicker, of being a great, great goal kicker, um, is Pierre Vilpreur. Not so much for his, not so much because uh, he was a fantastic uh, long-term goal kicker, but he kicked the biggest goal I've ever seen in my life at, at that time at Athletic Park in Wellington. So he was always the goal kicker, socks down. Uh, Carter, Wilkinson, Percy Montgomery and Hazem El Masri, says Liam. Keep them coming on in, folks. Keep them coming on in and uh, we'll be reading them out. And then our official our official Mount Rushmore will be after 11.30 this morning. Superman! 
Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold her. Know when to fold her. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Frustration after frustration. The Yankees beat the Red Sox yesterday. That was a terrific game of baseball. Uh, Crystal Palace and Brighton. Well, Brighton just scored in the very last minute to draw with Crystal Palace. That was our $3 option. Uh, and the South San Francisco 49ers beaten in the last minute by the last drive by the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, so we missed. That would have been $8. $8.77. Frustrating. Uh, today, Colorado Rockies to beat the Washington Nationals baseball at $1.58. The Dallas Cowboys to beat the Philadelphia Eagles in FL today at $1.50. And Queens Park Rangers to beat Birmingham City tomorrow morning at 2 bucks. Return of $4.74. That is uh, the multi. A lot of texts coming in uh, regarding uh, the greatest goal kicker of all time. And finally, finally apparently someone's come in with Cameron Smith. Someone's actually come in with Cameron Smith, which has made someone in our group very, very happy. In fact, staggeringly so. 10 o'clock here on CNZ News Time. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, four rounds into the NPC. It's been in a, well, what, what you say, a stop and staggered sort of NPC It's uh, thus far because of uh, circumstances, as we well know. Uh, only one team with a perfect record, and that's uh, Taranaki, who sit on top of the championship table with four wins. Their latest outing was a 55-28 thumping of premiership side Bay of Plenty in Tauranga over the weekend. Now joining us is the Taranaki fullback, Stephen Perafeta. Good morning, uh, Stephen. Uh, been a heck of a start. Wins over Hawke's Bay, Northland, Wellington and now Bay of Plenty. You couldn't have asked for much more, mate. Yeah, morning, Ian. Um, yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting uh, when you look at the teams we've knocked over three premiership sides and only one championship. Um, so yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty stoked that we were at, but still got a still got another half of the season to go, hopefully. You've always had uh, strong depth uh, in Taranaki, but uh, none more so than this year um, across the board. You, you take out the, you know, the three Barrett brothers who you've never really had that much access to anyway, so you've had to learn to live without them. But uh, the depth seems uh, really prime this time around. Yeah, you're right. Um, we're lucky that we haven't had much injuries uh, touch wood this year. Um, and a lot of boys have just returned as well. Um, likes of Brownie, um, Bobby, uh, Lachlan Boshia. Um, so yeah, we're quite fortunate that we've got that depth and there's a lot of young talent coming through too, which is quite pleasing. So you've been um, an exception to the rule before uh, actually uh, the virus came around because uh, you lost your main stadium, Yarrow Stadium, due to uh, earthquake fixing requirements, etc. So uh, you've had to find a new home in, in Inglewood. It's it's a it's a nice boutiquey little ground. How, how have you found that as your base? Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. I don't I don't mind it. Um, uh, it's got that community feel. Um, the crowd get into it. It's, it's not too bad. 
Uh, it get, does get a bit woody though, but that's part of it. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, it is what it is. But we enjoy playing footy, and we're pretty grateful at the moment to just be playing rugby, um, whether it's in Inglewood or Pookie Park. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's all good. Yeah, well, that's what I, I should have asked you with that. Pukekura Park. I mean, for years it's been a, a cricket ground. I haven't played rugby years, rugby there since uh, day one. I mean, what did you feel about running out there uh, back at the start? Because that that amphitheatre feel where the people almost feel as if they're on top of you. I I've, I experienced that during cricket. Were you able to sense that yeah. during rugby? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was an yeah, it was an awesome feeling. Um, and the crowd felt like it was right, yeah, like you said, on top of you. And the atmosphere just sort of brought that energy to the next level. And as players, we definitely could feel it. Um, it was a memory here yeah, I'll probably remember forever uh, playing at Pookie Park. So um, in the long term, of course, uh, you're looking at a new Yarrow Stadium, $50 million upgrade. Uh, it's going to be nice running out there eventually. That's a that's a great lure to stay in the in the Naki area. Yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully they'll get um, on track soon and we're able to play in Yarrows. Um, yeah, it'll be exciting times for the boys and for the fans, especially to be back at the home ground uh, to support the boys. Neil Barnes is your highly regarded uh, head coach. Uh, a great history uh, with Taranaki, of course, of course the Barnes family, but uh, in particular now, what do, what do you like about his style uh, and what does he focus on in your game in particular? Um, he, yeah, he, he brings a bit of everything. Um, and well, what I mean by this is um, he's honest. He's, he's quite upfront with... Um, with us and what he what he wants from us, and if we need to work on something, um, it's, it's it's said straight up. Um, but then he also he, he trusts us, so he he allows us to um, you know back ourselves and um, play play like footy that suits us and what we see. Uh, so it's given us that confidence to to trust ourselves. But when we aren't sort of pulling weight. Um, he yeah he, he'll let us know um and uh, yeah I, I really like that about him um and he's yeah all, all around just a yeah good fella he's a proud Taranaki man um and right now yeah I think it's, it's evident that um the the whole squad the whole twenty three is just yeah willing willing to work for each other and that's from his uh, yeah leadership. Taranaki Rugby has had a history of family names, great family names. Uh, you look at the Crowleys, you look at the Barretts, uh, you look at uh, the McEldownies. Uh, I mean, there's just so many of them that um, I can't even bring them up at the moment. But one of the modern-day names is uh, Naholo. Uh, it's, it's been huge, particularly uh, in terms of your strike force. It was Waisaki, of course, for quite some time. And now uh, the younger brother in, in Kenny. Tell us a wee bit about uh, about him. He's having a, a top year. Yeah, he is. Um, um, I'm stoked um, that he's catching a break, really, because he's been unfortunate with injuries as of as past. Um, so only really now people can see what he's been able to do. Um, but yeah, he's on. Oh, he's a 
he's a pure beast. Um, he's an athlete, one of a kind. Um, he's yeah. He's a, at home. He's um. He's actually really um competitive. Uh, we play a bit of like sports on the on the PS4, and yeah, he's he's right into stuff. So it, it definitely comes out on the field as well when he when he's got ball in hand, trying to beat everyone. Um, but yeah, he's yeah he's a pure athlete. It's nine minutes past ten here on SENZ. We're talking to Stephen Parafeta, uh, of course, Blues and, and Taranaki fullback. And that brings me to uh, another question here. I mean, you're equally adept at 10 and 15, Stephen. The age-old question, uh, what is the preferred position for you? I prefer first five. Why? Um... Sort of like being in that um, control and being in control and driving the game. Um, uh, yeah, the way I see it. But at the moment, we're, we'll play a structure that sort of suits um, playing yeah wherever. So at fifteen right now, um, the roles are sort of the, sim- the roles are sort of similar with the structure we're playing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like. Being in the in the driver's seat and playing the way, playing the game, how yeah, how I see it. It's not uh, it's not that far away. In fact, that this season's going to go quite a long way into November by the look of it, uh, all going well, uh, which means it won't be too far away from assembling with the Blues. Uh, you're obviously a, a key member of the Blues setup as well, but uh, with Bowden possibly coming back and and you know playing a role there at ten. Um, would you uh, you'd be happy to be at fifteen? I would guess. Has Leon McDonald been in contact with you? Because he could, uh, Bowden could play fifteen as well, I guess, and you could play ten. Has there been a dis- discussion about that? Um, yeah, we we discussed it uh, last year, um, and yeah, it was it was mentioned um, with with the with the break of Bodie, um hoping they or knowing that they will have a bit of a break um, so hopefully seeing time at 10 there but yeah for sure like if, if he's back and he, he's at number 10 um, look it's the best team on the field at the time and um, if, if I'm at 15 if I'm on the bench if I'm if I'm not playing it, I guess that is what it is at that stage so um, yeah look when, if, if the opportunity arises then I guess I'll take it when it pops up. Stephen, you're only 24. I mean, it feels like yeah. uh, we've been calling your name on Sky Sport for a, for a long, long time. Uh, you're still a very, very young man in terms of that. First of all, uh, how's the body and, and what are your aspirations in the game as it sits now? Um, yeah, the, the body's good. Um, the last few years I've managed to... Uh, yeah, I've, got injured a bit um but uh, yeah like this season in 2020 season i have managed to stay injury free touch wood um so yeah i'm feeling pretty fresh and happy about just playing consistent footy and getting consistent minutes um but yeah aspirations around sort of what i'm trying to choose that i i want to stay in new zealand for for as long as possible and um, with the with Tadnaki, 
um, obviously winning the championship and, and taking that taking us back up to the premiership. Um, but yeah, for the next few years, if I'm playing good footy um, and super and Midas, hopefully, um, yeah, just playing playing more minutes and owning that spot up in, in, in super. And where whatever happens from there, um, yeah, happens. Well, you get a bit of a breather in the NPC this week. There's uh, the odd buy floating around because the Auckland teams can't uh, can't be part of it at the moment, unfortunately. But then it's down to uh, Forsyth Bar uh, and Otago. Do you see them as your biggest threat uh, to winning the championship? Yeah, that would be up there. Um, lately, they've sort of been our bogey team. Um, in recent years, when we travelled down to Dunedin, they're, they're a hard team to beat at home under the roof. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely one of the contenders to to the top four in the championship. And they've got a, some pretty dangerous uh, players uh, down there. So definitely a contender. So you watched, um, I'm sure you watched the All Black Springboks in the weekend. There was no secret the way uh, the Springboks were going to play the game. But how would you feel at 10? How would you feel at 10 or how would you feel even at 15 in a Springbok side, which was so dominant uh, about kicking the ball? If Barnsley came in the dressing room and said, right, this is the way we're going to play it today and you better not pass it to number 12 or look out, uh, how would you feel about that style of rugby? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll probably be scratching my head. Um <laughs> Sort of, what do you what do you mean? But nah, honestly, it's 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 interesting watching. It's it's a different style of rugby that um, I guess yeah, us Kiwis aren't accustomed to. But um, yeah, look, it's it's the way they play, and um, still yet the the ABs have managed to yeah beat them at their own game and. Um, well, our man Geordie's come in clutch big time, but um, hopefully this week they bring a bit of variety because, yeah, I don't know, it's not, to be honest, it's, it's not fun to watch, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Hey, and just finally, just finally, um, uh, an off-the-top-of-your-head question, you've got about one and a half seconds to think about it. Your greatest goal okay. kicker, I mean, you're a goal kicker yourself, the greatest goal kicker you believe you've ever seen. Um, and that includes rugby and rugby league. DC. Dan Carter. Okay, that's it yeah. from Stephen Perifero. It took him half a second, folks. Dan Carter. Right, uh, Stephen, very uh, very grateful for your time this morning. Enjoy the week- weekend off. Good luck uh, for Taranaki and your quest for a promotion this year, uh, and we look forward to seeing you in that Blues jersey as well. Stephen, thanks for your time. Hey, cheers, Ian. Have a good one. Yeah, good Good young man, Stephen Perifeta, and uh, if his body holds up, he will go places. There's no doubt about it and should make a great living out of the game. 10.17 here on SENZ. Uh, yep, it's uh, panel time very shortly. Interesting, isn't it? number of issues here to talk about uh, with our panellists this morning, Ricky Schwinnell uh, and, of course, Ollie Ritchie. Uh, there'll be a bit of rugby, bit of rugby league, bit of combat, um, and... Uh, uh, maybe a, a, a moral question as well, perhaps. To, uh, now that they're opening up some, some quarantine, some MIQ spots um, for business people, does that include sportsmen? Does it?
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Regular panellists uh, with us this morning, I'm pleased to say, Ollie Ritchie and Ricky Swinnell uh, on a number of diverse subjects this morning. Uh, we'll race through them all. First of all, uh, Ricky, can I start with you and give you the name Rhys Walsh? Uh, here we are all <laughs> lauding this young fellow for his amazing ability to transform the Warriors into an exciting unit. Uh, we're placing a lot, uh, a lot on his shoulders, his young shoulders admittedly, but, but there is uh, common sense and there is stupidity. Uh, where does he sit with this lot? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, I think it goes to show that sometimes the pedestal we elevate people to very quickly, uh, particularly young people. Um, look, this is dumb. Uh, you're a professional athlete. Um, for sure, but you know, I think he's I think he's actually fronted up and handled it pretty well, and I think the Warriors have too, which is maybe something that hasn't happened in years gone by with these kind of incidents. So I'm not going to you know hang and draw and quarter the guy as yet, um, but if he you know he's got to learn from it and, and got to be better um, for sure, because as I say, you, you know you are a professional athlete, and it goes into this whole role model discussion, which is often one we have around uh, sports people. Um, and, and look, as I say, I think he's fronted up well, but um, yeah, very high on the stupidity scale. So, Ollie, do we, do we look at this kid as a young up-and-coming league star, or uh, now that his season is over, do we look at him as a, a 19-year-old individual uh, caught with um, this in his possession uh, and, and admitting that have, having used it throughout the night, uh, do we? What do we treat him as? Does he does he deserve special attention uh, in this scenario? Well, I think he's going to get special attention re- regardless of whether he deserves it, because that that is um, what comes with being a, a professional athlete and being in, in the spotlight um, like that. Is that yeah? That that spotlight is transfixed on you um, a lot brighter and a lot harder. Um, in saying that, I, I completely agree with, with Ricky in the, in the sense that um, he fronted up and, and handled it really well. He, he front-footed it. Um, and, you know, from a Warriors PR perspective, um, that was the best thing that could have happened. Otherwise, we'd all still be uh, talking about it on every single news bulletin and, and news website around the country. Um, I think the, the, the big question here is how, how does he handle it going forward? You know, is this going to be kind of the making of him? Uh, and and are we going to be here in twelve? If we're here in twelve months' time, um, and Reese Walsh has made similar errors, then you know those were just those were just words written on a press release that he that he said the other day. Um, but if he can show that he he's learned from this and that he uh, you know is a different man uh, and that he's not going to make the same stupid mistake again, uh, then I think he deserves uh, a second chance. Yeah, I think uh, Cameron George will look after him in that regard, but he's going to have to, as you say help himself at, at some point. Uh, news coming through this morning, uh, Ollie, or late last night, Warren Gatlin now uh, Director of Rugby as opposed to hands-on head coach at the Chiefs, Clayton McMillan, getting that job. Is that a surprise to you, and what does that signal to you in terms of Gatlin as a hands-on coach going forward? Well, it sig- that, that signals to me uh, that the Chiefs made incredible progress under Clayton McMillan last year. And not only that, they found a, a man and a coach that players really wanted to play for and really wanted to go and do battle for uh, every week. So that says to me that um, 
Clayton McMillan is the man that the, the, the players want to do battle for and, and want to play for. And they talk about Mana uh, at the Chiefs uh, all the time. Well, Clayton McMillan has it in spades. Um, and, and I actually think it was inevitable, really. The, the, the questions were starting to be asked quite early on before Warren Gatlin was back in, in New Zealand shores, before the Lions series had even, had even kicked off, is what are they going to do about this problem? Um, because it was a problem. They had a man there that was coaching well, he had the team performing well, and he had a team that wanted to play for him. Why would you get rid of that? You know, why would you go back to the coach that led you to uh, a no-win season in Super Rugby Aotearoa? So use Gatlin's rugby brains, because he's clearly uh, a very smart rugby man, but keep the mana uh, of Clayton McMillan at the helm. Hasn't been that long, Ricky, since uh, people were talking about Warren Gatland as a possible all-black coach. Do you think that's getting <laughs> a long way away now? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, and obviously, I, I wonder if he is seeing where he is now best served. This is a, a very European-style setup now, isn't it? We, you do see that a lot. And um, well, dare I say, South Africa as well. Um, and it would be interesting to see if this is a bit of a blueprint for other franchises. We often talk about, you know, the coaches that have to go overseas because there's not that many key head coaching roles in New Zealand. So if this works for the Chiefs, um, it could be something other franchises look towards. I think it's a smart move from the Chiefs because those questions were going to start coming, weren't they? Um, <clears throat> heading into a new season next year, you know, we're not all that far away. We're you know, six months out, if that, from, from the start of a new season. And after what the Chiefs did under McMillan this year, um, those questions are going to certainly ask. And so I think the Chiefs have front-footed it and immediately taken the heat out of that straight away. Um, I guess the, the, the proof is in the pudding and, and when you have someone like Gatlin who has, has been a hands-on coach right up until this moment, can he be the one to step back and let McMillan run the team how he wants it and, and find his own footing in this new setup? Ricky, um, over the last couple of days there's been uh, an outpouring of, an, of opinion on Israel Adesanya and Dan Hooker, the mixed martial arts fighters representing New Zealand, carrying the flag for us, but not getting the support from the bureaucrats back home. Uh, how have you read that situation? Oh, God, um, I sort of don't know if there's anyone that can have a whinge quite like the UFC guys. Um, I think this, the, the moving to the States or whatever has been completely overblown. Sports like our top cyclists have done this for years. They've based themselves in in Spain or, or wherever, and they've come home when they can. Okay, yes, we know that the MIQ system and all of that is is rubbish for athletes at the moment. We absolutely know that. But I, I, I would suggest it's sensible when your business that's being done, in this case your fights, are largely staged overseas, that you base yourself there. Um, I think there's a, a little bit of a, a chip-on-the-shoulder kind of element to it. I, I, I think... You know, these guys are lauded largely um, by the media and, and on social media and all of that. And I just, yeah, the, this whole the ditching New Zealand and, and is completely overblown. Athletes have been doing this for decades. Ollie? Yeah, couldn't have, couldn't have put it to myself, um, to, to be perfectly honest. And, and I know they had a lot of complaints about what they were able to do here. MIQ is one thing, and, and that is a system that needs a, a lot of work. But I know that they were they were complaining about not being able to train here and and all that sort of stuff. Well, well, what do you want? What 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 are you suggesting here, Israel and and Dan and and everyone who is complaining about that? Like, are you asked 
are you after preferential treatment? I know they like to compare themselves to well, their treatment to the All Blacks and to, to the Black Caps. Well, it's, it's apples and oranges as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you, you can't train under a level four lockdown. And I know they tried to and the police broke that up and they thought that that was everyone out to attack um, mixed martial arts as a sport and, and city kickboxing as an organisation. It wasn't. It was simply following the rules. Uh, yes, it is not an ideal scenario at the moment. And if there was no COVID and you could come and go freely and you didn't have to worry about MIQ, then you'd be fine to base yourselves here. But as Ricky said, um, your business is o- overseas. Uh, that, that's where it all happens. Um, so base yourself there. And, you know, it would be uh, wise of them to look at other Kiwi athletes who have to base themselves overseas because there are a lot of them and a lot of them who don't complain like the UFC boys do. It's 10.31 here on SENZ. Ricky Schwinnell, Ollie Ritchie with us. If you could stay with us, uh, folks, I'd be pleased because there's another couple of things I'd love to chew the fat with you uh, with. And it is uh, time for the news with Trudy Meantime. Big Opinions, the panel. Talk to me, yeah. It's part two of the panel here with uh, Ollie Ritchie and Ricky Swinnell. News of that white, white substance on the table at the league party. Good God. I mean, that's what the world is coming to. You can't even have salt on the fish and chips these days and spill a canister. I mean, it's just so wrong. Absolutely so wrong. Uh, Ricky. God, I've just given myself Ricky. a headache listening to some of those headlines and rolled my eyes so hard listening to the news. Oh. <laughs> what a wonderful, oh, what a wonderful world. Has it been Crosby sung that or something? Uh, look, Ricky, uh, let's, let's look going forward, shall we? Um, we, we know how the, the Springboks are going to play. We also know, and it's been acknowledged by the likes of uh, Grant Fox, Ian Foster, a all, that we didn't handle it too well. So what do we do in the back three this week? Oh, yeah, that's a question. I think that's probably the, I mean, the player most under pressure to keep his spot, isn't it, is, is, is George Bridge um, this weekend. Um, I mean, it's a simple fix, isn't it, really? Catch the bloody ball um, across the board. I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, an All Black team drop that much ball. Um, yeah, as I say, Bridge for Reese is probably the, the question. The other is, is Barrett for Moonga. I think it's hard for Richie Moonga to come into the team in that situation, when, especially when Barrett has been playing relatively well. Um, yeah, I, I, and I, I think was it... The point was made, I think maybe Justin Marshall made the point um, a little bit about we, with some of those kicks that were going up during the game, the, the sort of clutter that was around that area. So maybe, you know, a lot of guys trying to protect the guy coming up in the air, but it made it a little bit confusing. So I think clearer comms is, is probably an area as well. But um, yeah, I mean, we certainly know what's coming this weekend. Ollie, how do you feel about it? I mean, and if Mwonga comes back, do we need the goal kicking of Geordie Barrett? Is he a starter at 15? Um, I, I think Geordie Barrett is a starter at 15 because he was our best under the high ball. In fact, he was probably our best on the park even before he mm. slotted uh, the match the match winning penalty. I think Geordie Barrett was was comfortably our best player on on the park. I agree, man. When you see George Bridge drop that ball inside six minutes and the Springboks go on to score, you just get the feeling this could be a long, long night at the office forum. And it was a long, long night at the office forum. Uncharacteristic for George Bridge. He is normally so safe. Uh, under the high ball, and that's one of the qualities that uh, both the Crusaders and, and the All Blacks really like about him, but his confidence got rocked in, inside six minutes, and he never really regained it because 
the Springboks just kept kicking and kept kicking and kept kicking, and, and he just didn't quite get there. Um, so I think if Anton Leonard Brown is fit this week, he'll slot back into the midfield and they'll push Rico Ioane out to the left mm. wing and just spell uh, George Bridge for a bit. Um, give him, you know, which, which is brutal because it will um, mm. it will feel and look to George Bridge as if he was dropped, and he probably has been. Um, but just give him a bit of time to go back to the drawing board and, and he'll get more game time on the Northern Tour. Don't, don't worry about that. But I think they'll be looking to get Rico back on the left wing and, and let it brown back into the midfield uh, as soon as they can. The Mawanga, ugh, bring him off the bench maybe. I'd still be starting Bowden. I'd still be starting Geordie. But probably a good idea to get some minutes under his belt just with um, the fact that he's been in a hotel for two weeks. I'm not going to play again until the end of October against the USA. It couldn't, and, and there's nothing on the line. You know, the rugby championship's sewn up. Uh, yes, of course, they want to win. They want to go unbeaten through the rugby championship. But maybe just give Moanga 20 or so minutes off the bench. Uh, might just be useful mm. to get some, get some rugby into him. Mm. There's a nice romance uh, about, and I, I use that word in inverted commas, about uh, the NRL grand final this weekend. Not so much... Uh, for the combatants or anything else. But uh, there's a New Zealand romance for me and Benji Marshall. Now, here's, here's an interesting case. Uh, Benji Marshall has tried uh, at both codes. Uh, it didn't work when he came to rugby. Ricky, it was uh, an abject failure, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here he is. He's on the biggest stage in rugby league of all. And, and you know, it, it's just got a nice feel about a guy who probably was long gone and forgotten in most people's minds, going to be front and centre uh, for Wayne Bennett. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? He's sort of—it's almost the story, like his career has been a, a roller coaster romance um, throughout, isn't it? He, you know, he and I, and I think it's easy to forget he carried—he was really the face of of New Zealand rugby league and 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 for a long time the NRL for for a long time. And he was a kid who came out of Fakatani who hadn't played the game. Um, and if this is to be the swan song, what a what a way to finish! I think he's always. Uh, fronted up, he's always carried himself as well as possible. He's, he's as I say, worn a load um, at times, and that is not always easy. And, and he, um, you know, he's always been available, fronted up when when things haven't gone well. So yeah, it would be really nice as, as a complete neutral. Don't really care who wins. Um, those are the kind of things mm. that you look for, isn't it? The little stories to to find someone to maybe uh, to to peg your loyalty on for the day. And Ollie, uh, I know predominantly rugby man, uh, but uh, Benji Marshall did—he did, he did uh, try to uh, wet the toes in rugby there for a while. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, look, it wasn't—it um, wasn't one of the best transitions from rugby league uh, to rugby union, was it? And I'm sure all the Blues fans will be hoping they don't have too too similar a scenario with Roger Tuivasa-Shek when he gets uh, rolled out in uh, in the blue jersey. But I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm uh, a mutual here. I don't have a loyalty uh, or a following with any uh, of these two teams, but it would be great to see, just if this is a swan song, to see Benji get another uh, NRL premiership, another ring. You know, he's just, he's done so much for the game. The kid from Fakatane who'd, who'd never played it and, you know, he's had a roller coaster. He's, he's done well with the West Tigers. He's done the union. That hasn't worked. He's had you know, other opportunities with the Dragons and the Broncos and then another sort of swan song at the, the Tigers before being released and, and giving it another, another crack with the Rabbitohs. It would be just such a nice story and such a nice potential farewell for Benji um, if he was to be able to, to win that with the Rabbitohs. So I'll certainly be cheering for them uh, in the grand final and for a lot of other Kiwis will as well. And just off the top of your head, um, Ollie, uh, first of all, if 
Uh, the Prime Minister, as she said, is going to open up some spots, uh, up to three or 400 spots maybe, for genuine business interests uh, in terms of uh, being able to quarantine at home uh, in a very common sense sort of way. Uh, does that open that up? Uh, does that qualify Grant, uh, Ryan Fox? Does it qualify our sporting people? Because uh, they are, in the essence, uh, if you look in the dictionary, business people. Yeah, they are. They're a genuine, a genuine business, and they're wanting to, to get home. So you would think that they're well and truly in the hunt uh, for those. I won't pretend to be an expert on MIQ and who should or shouldn't be in, because I'll probably upset a few people. Um, but uh, the upshot is, is that a lot of people have to go offshore, not just athletes, um, but a lot of people have to go offshore to do their business. Um, so absolutely, our, our Kiwi athletes should be in the mix um, to get some of those spots if they are being opened up. I think that'd be uh, a good thing too, Ricky, because it's a headline mm. uh, on a regular basis now. Uh, if, if they were to appease a few and put them in that bracket, I can think that only being good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, 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 God, I hope this trial works. Um, as someone who has, you know, watched some watched some international sevens the last couple of weekends and being desperately knowing I could have been there but for the situation. Um, yeah, I think it is a little bit trickier in the sense that. Uh, they are, it's going to be dependent on which countries you're coming from, um, and I think they would probably need um, because you know these are uh, businesses are going to be advocating for a spot, right? So they would need I don't know whether it is through Sport NZ or through their national body. So if it's Golf New Zealand or if it's Triathlon New Zealand, if you're Hayden Wild or someone for Courtney Duncan, if they need someone to advocate and apply um, in that sense, just to give it a little bit more heft and a, a little bit more weight. But um, yeah, like I, I mean. It's 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 the next step that we have to do. We we you know we just have to be able to to um, get these people home in some way, shape, or form. And, and so yeah, I think it, it would probably be a pretty good PR move too um, to get a couple of them in those slots. Ricky Swinell, thank you very much for your time this morning, and to you too, Ollie uh, Ollie Richie, you've been great, uh, and a number of a wide range of subjects this morning are very opinionated and, and informed. Enjoy it. Uh, enjoy the panel every day. Same time again tomorrow morning, folks. Uh, when we come back, your texts, they've been flooding in, your top four goal kickers. And there are some people uh, with some serious opinions across the codes. Uh, we'll address those. And then before 11 o'clock, Louis Herman Watt uh, and BP, Brendan Popperwell representing the TAB. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, top four goal kickers, it's a pretty warm sort of an issue. Nas Porter, Hugo Porter, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston. So no all-black kickers uh, there from Duncan. Hazem El Magic, top goal kicker. That's uh, Hazem El Masri, of course, from the Bulldogs. Uh, Brian McKechnie, Simon Colhane, Lima Sopoanga, and Marty Banks. Where do you come from, Dean? Really? Really? Jonathan Thurston, come from Craig. Chase from Waiuku. Don Clark, Daryl Halligan, Hazram El Masri, Percy Montgomery and Dan Carter, my top goal kickers. Can't pick Cameron Smith because he's a Queenslander. And, and while we're at it, we might as well rip into you, John Day, uh, because uh, he has said, and, and I quote, Hey, John Day, this is Chase, reports out of Queensland, there are a bunch of hungry bunnies that have had a big feast of sea eagles <laughs> and are now looking for some tired-looking panthers. <laughs> Too soon, Chase. Too soon, Chase. It only last Friday night. I'm still crying my sea eagle tears. 
Um, yeah, Rabbitohs just too bloody good. And I, I am behind you this weekend. I think the Panthers will win, but I am cheering for Benji Marshall and that fairy tale with the bunny. So cheers, Chase. Cheers for the Bants. Yeah, interesting also too from uh, Pete. NRL conditions are generally way more favourable for goal kicking than New Zealand grounds and wins. Uh, the ball is easier to kick these days. Uh, that's why Jared has come in and said, Don Clark, old school, heavy ball, bloody heavy ball. You're not wrong there, uh, Jared, when you're, and a, a toe kicker as well. Uh, former warrior Mason Leno just set league world record of 36 conse- consecutive, I should say, uh, conversions in the Super League. Can't leave out Nas Borta. Uh, that's Andrew from Auckland. They're flooding in from everywhere. Um, you certainly like an opinion on that. Uh, there's quite um, uh, um, a really considered one that I'm just floating down for uh, about the league kickers generally don't go for distance either, John. Generally, they're kicking conversions. They have the odd penalty, etc. throughout the match. But by and large, they do not go... Uh, for, from distance, long yeah. range kicks. Yeah, yeah, they got they work beautiful curves, don't they? They normally have a, a side of the field they like to kick from, and it's almost automatic for them because they get to kick along that twenty meter line. Uh, so they just find a rhythm, I think, far more easier than rugby union kickers who have to kick from all areas of the field and use you know a bit of fade or a bit of hook um, to get it into the post. Whereas rugby league can really just get into your your method. And absolutely nail it. So I think that's why I, th- I think a, a league might dominate my top four, Smithy. But we'll have to wait and see until the next hour. Daryl Halligan, Michael Liner, Dan Carter, Don Clark, Cheers Graham, and Jordan's come in. He must have had it on his cornies this morning. Uh, he says Beaver. Goodness me, he says Beaver. Ugh. Okay, Louis Herman. What? He's next uh, from uh, Love Racing. Dot NZ. Uh, and also Brendan Popperwell from the TAB before 11 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sing.NZ Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Joined by Louis Herman Watt, courtesy of loveracing.nz this morning. Uh, Louis, my question to you of the day is how well do you need to do as a trainer uh, overseas, if you're a New Zealand trainer that is, uh, with good horses to qualify as an economic exemption to come home? David Brown uh, is finding that out. Uh, He's had a great run. His his little team over there is doing well. uh, But he's not looking at getting home in a hell of a hurry, is he? Uh, Well, good morning to you, Smithy. That's a... It's a big question, probably one I'm extremely unqualified to answer, but I think that David Brown, the success he's had over there, not that it necessarily would determine whether he could get home or not. I know he's going to go into the lottery to get home with the rest of everybody, but um, just as the success for what it is, I mean, it's been huge. Like, you, again, I think we talked about this, but you're a small-time trainer. You pack a couple of nice horses up, and then you add in the context that he knew he probably wouldn't be able to get home he knew that there's a good chance he won't be home for Christmas. So you kind of put added pressure on yourself that these horses have to run and perform well. Otherwise, I'm leaving my wife, Emily, my two or three kids I think he's got, um, like my whole you know, my fan, uh, my farm, my family. And, and if these horses, which I really, at the absolute crux of it, don't have any control over, if they don't run well, then what have we done over here? So I think as well as elephant, Border Leicester, Rhinoceros, Bifrost, 
um, their performances. I think as well as validating him as a trainer, I think there'd be a lot of emotional and I guess just pressure taken off and relieved, like a lot of relief that this trip has been worth it, A, financially, uh, but B, you know, emotionally. And they had to, they made the right call. They thought they had nice trainers, nice horses rather, and they pulled the trigger and they went. When he gets home, I don't know. Um, look, I guess the it's an interesting question for trainers all over, isn't it? Because I know Bowden, for example, the stayer, it's going to be very hard for Roger, Roger Graham Rogerson to get him over there. Um, Ocean Billy with Bill Pomare, the horse is going to Chris Waller's stable. So a lot of horses that if they do go on Australian raids, the trainers and staff can't get there other than your, um, you know, Andrew Forsman, Murray Baker, your Tiakos, the big powerhouses, the smaller stables, they haven't done what David Brown's done, so they kind of miss out on the naming rights if their horses do win big races. So it's a delicate situation as always, and as everything is, Smithy, but um, yeah, that, that's probably my best answer, but I haven't actually answered your question, fully aware of that. No, I think you have, in a roundabout sort of a way. Uh, we'll, go, we'll go to, uh, thanks Louis, uh, we'll go to BP Brennan Popwell from the TAB now as well, because he, he might have a, a small say on this. Uh, because uh, we're worried about our uh, our horses, our sportsmen, etc., all going overseas. The obvious incentive, BP, is the money, the stakes. But now, um, so it's got to be the place to be. Surely, it's got to be the place to be. If you've got good horses, a good stable, you can get um, a set up over there. Why wouldn't you? Well, it's silly not to, isn't it? And so often we're either seeing horses sold for big money that go to Asia or go to Australia. Uh, or horses that race there and, and, and are searching for the dollar. And look, plain and simple is that we're not racing for enough money here, so that's why they have to go and chase the money, to be able to keep the wheels turning. So it um, makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it, really? If you had a horse that was any good, you'd be wanting to ship straight off to Australia to try and chase the big dollars. BP, on the, today's subject of, of the punt, what have you got lined up for us? Yeah, mate, look, uh, the, the NFL, and of course we've got the Cowboys taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Can tell you, you'll be pleased to hear this, because I know it's in your multi today, Smithy, that the Dallas Cowboys are very well supported. 3000 at at fifty, and also money at the line, and expecting to be offense, offense. Total points have been very well played at 51 and over. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Fiddler's gone after it. Then he scoops the ball away to Byrne. Byrne puts on a fan. Then he puts on a sprint. Sadler is chasing. Sadler is playing. From tackle on the line. From tackle by Scott Sadler. That's one of the greatest tackles you will ever see in any game. Unbelievable. What the pick up by Fiddler. A flying winger. And only one man. One man standing between the try line, a try to the Roosters, and it stops that. Good God, that, doesn't that make your, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? Uh, that tackle by Scott Sattler, a lock forward on Todd Byrne in the 2003 decider between the Panthers and the Roosters. Uh, goes down as one of the defensive moments in the history of uh, the NRL Premiership title. Uh, he's part of the SEN family as well. The SEN family is Scott Sattler. He's got a show with uh, Gary Belcher called Sports Day across the network. Um, and I'm sure uh, he's excited about this time of the year. Uh, good morning to you, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. 
big fan. Um, <laughs> what about that tackle, mate? Um, you know, it was a, a legend, a legendary moment uh, in the game. Uh, this time of the year, I'll always bring it back to you. Yeah, I was actually just talking to a few mates this morning. They said I was sick of seeing that bloody tackle again. Um, and it usually <laughs> is this time of year that uh, it gets rolled out time and time again, and probably more so this year because, and like last year with the Penrith Panthers making their um, their second uh, grand final appearance in, in as many years. So, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time of year. It's an even more exciting time when your old club's playing in the grand final. And probably uh, doubly exciting when the team that you supported as a kid growing up because my dad played his whole career with the South Sydney Rabbitohs and won four, four premierships with them in the 60s and 70s. And and um, and so the, the team that I followed, Smitty, growing up, the Rabbitohs, and now up against my uh, my old club, it's, I, I really don't know who to go for, to be quite honest. There's two ways to look at it. I I win either way, and I get disappointed because one of my teams lose. But, um, you know, it's always an exciting time of year. And with it being in Brisbane for the first time, it's, it's um, equally exciting because... It's never happened before and probably never happened again. Scott, I, I'll come back to your relationship with you and your dad, which is, which is just a, a great story in its own right. But I, I want to take a... I read um, early, one of your early predictions in this year's NRL, um, and you, in terms of your top eight, went one, two, three, in order, Raiders, Panthers, Rabbitohs. Well, Ricky's boys let you down in terms of that prediction, but you got the other two right ahead of some fairly favoured contenders. So... Um, it's, it's, is it for you in a, a sort of a way a, quite a fitting final? Yeah, I always thought that the Bunnies would be there for a number of reasons. One, because Latrell Mitchell, who on his day is one of the best players in the NRL, but the most important person in that South Sydney team actually doesn't put a jersey on each week. It's it's Wayne Bennett, the coach. You know, he'll go down in history as as one of the sport's great coaches, not just rugby league, but sport in general, Australian sport in general, one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. The success that he's had, the influence he's had on players, the, the stories that we don't hear about, the influence he's had on players off the field when when their lives are a crossroad and they end up finding some you know, some solace uh, in their lives after the footy career with the, with the help of Wayne Bennett. He's just an amazing human being. Human being. The, the ability he has to to be able to connect with people. So I always thought South would be there if they could keep everyone on the field. Now, when they lost Latrell Mitchell some weeks back for a for a for um, that high tackle um, against the Roosters, everyone thought, and I even thought that they were probably done, but such is the strength of the man. He's gotten through the grand final. He'll concoct something pretty special this week. But um, uh, And the Penrith Panthers, well, yeah, they're only a really young team. And we won the comp back in 2003 with a really young group of players that played all the junior reps together through 15, 16, 17, 18. They all made first grade at 19. And we went on and won a comp. And much like this team also, they've been together for, since our 14 or 15, this team. And I always thought they were going to be there about again. So it doesn't surprise me that the Panthers are there, but it does surprise me that the Rabbits made it without Latrell Mitchell. So you talk about the influence of, of Wayne Bennett. Uh, that's undoubted. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about the influence then uh, on the Cleary connection uh, at, at Penrith because uh, not quite as openly uh, regarded, I would imagine. He's still got a bit to do to get to Wayne Bennett's level, uh, Ivan Cleary, but he's fashioned a pretty good outfit this time round. Yeah, he has. He's been there once before at Penrith and Phil Gould um, didn't extend his contract because he, he actually used the phrase he thought he was tired and maybe he just thought of, he thought that emotionally and, and psychologically trying to 
oversee such a huge club like Penrith, who has the biggest junior base in, in the game, um, it was just getting to him and probably wasn't mature enough. And uh, Phil Gould sent him away and he knew he was always going to get him back. They were going to get him back at some stage. And they got him back after he spent a little bit more time in other clubs. And of course, he's, he was at the Warriors and took them through to a grand final as well in 2011. And so, you know, he, he knows how to get teams to the finishing line, but he's yet to break that bubble at the moment. He's, um, you know, this weekend's probably, last year was his, probably his best chance. And I thought they overcooked themselves leading in the grand final. Um, I thought they focused too much on the past and the history of the club and the success of the small successes of the club and getting guest speakers in to talk to a young group. I just think they really overcooked it. Whereas this year, they've taken a real relaxed approach from all reports. And that's what you need to do with the younger players. You need to take a real relaxed approach. And, um, you know, there's, if he doesn't win it this year, uh, Ivan Cleary, there's no doubt that he will get a premiership in the very near future with this group. But, uh, this year, I think they deserve to go in as favourites, uh, the Panthers. He's, he's got a great relationship with his son. Uh, his son is a very smart player. His son has grown up in dressing sheds his whole life. So he knows he's, he's very smart intellectually around the rugby league field as well and the landscape of it. And, and um, they live and breathe the game, both he and Ivan. And Ivan's such a really quiet, composed guy. And you know, I really enjoy his company, Ivan. And, and the players love him as well. So... Um, it, what it is, you know, we saw two weeks ago that both he and Wayne Bennett got into a little bit of a verbal stoush and, and Ivan Cleary was first to fire off and what you don't do is allow Wayne Bennett to come in second and and, um, and, ret- and give his retort, which he's always going to win. So um, Ivan, I think this week, will be a little bit smarter in relation to the way that he prepares for this game in the media and he doesn't rattle the cage of Wayne Bennett because Wayne will get under his, under his skin again. 18 years, mate, since you won the comp with uh, the Panthers. You had a couple of Kiwis alongside you too there, the Hair Bears, they used to call them back in those days, Joe <laughs> Nullivale, Frank Kulatua. Uh, tell, tell us about that unit you had and, and that Kiwi influence. Well, the Panthers are always a heavy Polynesian influence. Um, Mount Druitt and, and the areas around St Mary's has got a huge uh, Polynesian population. Um, when a lot of the families migrated many, many years ago, um, they all they all ended up in the western suburbs and um, and make up a large amount of numbers in relation to the junior representatives uh, out there, representative teams. And I remember being a, a mature player, sort of coming coming to Penrith. Um, I was at 26 when I went to Penrith, and there was this young kid that was coming through, who was 18 years of age, touching for a tour and. 19, I think he was, and he all of a sudden he hit first grade, and he had so much potential, and many questioned his. His, uh, his toughness and resilience, but I just remember when we got John Lang to the, the Panthers, he just simplified everything, and I remember he, he grabbed Tony Pulitzer and he said to him, you know, you're one of the big reasons I came to Penrith, I hated coaching against you, you're one of the best athletes I've ever seen. He really just built up his ego and made him feel as though to the point that he was actually indestructible. Like, for the two or three years, he was the most damaging back rower in the, in the world, and then Joey Nullivan, who of course was at the Warriors as a fullback and centre and comes to the the Panthers, I should say, and, and turned him into a back rower. And both he and Paul Latour pushed each other when it came to their training values and ethics. And they, they did a lot of extra training. They kept each other honest. And, and together, they were, they were near unstoppable. You know, after four years, after four rounds, I should say, we only won one game. We're paying 101 yeah. to one to win the, win the comp. And then we went on this eight-game winning streak and it was against the Warriors actually in round six and really round seven that really turned our season over in New Zealand and um, and that's when we thought we could play finals after that game and 
And then we went after eight games, after eight wins in a row, we realised that we could probably finish in the top four. And as the game, we beat the Bulldogs, I remember, one day on a Sunday afternoon, and we, we actually thought we could win the cop after that game. So, and Tony Tour and Joe Nullivar, and Paul Fadawira, who was our centre as well, um, who went on and won a comp in 05 with the West Tigers as well. He he was had a huge influence on our on our um, on our team as well. He's all, he's also a champion boxer. He was Paul Fadawira in New Zealand. We didn't know anything about him when he arrived, and we used to do a lot of like boxing sparring, and no one knew anything about him. But the first person that took him on um, hit him on the chin, just bucking around. And Paul Fadawira um, put him through that much pain for the next three minutes in the in the boxing ring. We we knew who he was by the end of that three minutes. He was a really tough competitor, <laughs> the ultimate professional, and. And those three Polynesian boys um, had a really huge influence on our side. And, and then on the back of that, we had this young kid coming through called Frank Pritchard as well, a back rower, who was coming through putting pressure on a lot of people. So um, huge influence in the, in the Panthers club and still is today. Still a huge influence today. Uh, we're talking to uh, Scott Sattler, folks. Uh, Premiership winner back in 2003 with the Panthers. It's 11.13 here on SENZ. Uh, Scott's got a, a great show called Sports Day uh, on SEN uh, with Gary Belcher, so you'll be able to get that on the app as well. Uh, look, you talked before uh, about Nathan Cleary growing up in dressing rooms. I'm pretty sure Scott Sattler might have grown up in a few dressing rooms with that great relationship <laughs> with, with your dad, who uh, is a legendary player. I mean, uh, he won it so many times. Uh, you won a seven groups of fathers and sons to win the ARL or NRL Premiership final, so... This a very special time, not not just for you, but for your dad and you you as appearing, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I was conceived in the dressing rooms at Redstone Oval, um, and then yeah, as you said, <laughs> I, I I grew up in dressing sheds my whole life, and um, ever, ever since I can remember, Dad was taking me to rugby league games in the Brisbane Rugby League, and and then um, and growing up around all his ex teammates, you know, your Bob McCarthy's and Ron Coots, and you know, if you if you talk about those names in rugby union terms, you're talking about you know, Richie McCaw and, and Buck Shelford, that's how big these names were in rugby league. And, and so growing up around those guys as a young kid um, was, was came just natural to me. And um, and so then going into rugby league, I always felt really comfortable being around older company. And, and then, you know, fast forward, I had the opportunity on two occasions to play for South Sydney, and I didn't because my jersey was number 13, and Dad played in number 13, different positions um, back when Dad played, but same jersey number and, I never did that because of the jersey number, and that was his, uh, yeah, that was his legacy at that club, and I didn't want to try and tank that in any way. And um, and so, you know, again, fast forward again, and now you've got South City and Penrith playing against each other. It's, it's a pretty special moment, yeah, for both of us. We, uh, the sledging's already commenced this week between both of us, and uh, he won't go to the game. You know, he's, he's 79, Dad, now, and he, you know, he's he got early onset sort of dementia from the from the um, the effects of the game. He had a bad car crash in 1979, and he had a stroke about four years ago as well, which has knocked him around. So um, he's still, you know, he's still aware of what's going on around him. He knows the footy. He loves the footy. He knows the South are playing this league. He's excited about it. And um, it took them so long. For after 71, he was the last grand final winning captain at South in 71. It took them until 2014 to win another comp or even playing another grand final. So, you know, it's great that they haven't wait, had to wait so long. Uh, the, the Rabbitohs this time and you know what there's, there's part of me that always says that you know I'd love Penrith to win but I'd love South to win also just you know, we don't know how long Dad's going to be on this earth and uh, I'd, just, I'd love him to see as many you know, premierships um, and the Bunnies singing their victory song as we can Hell of a story mate um, he 
He played a grand final with a broken jaw, is that right? Yeah, second minute in the 1970 grand final against Manly, he was king hit by another front row from Manly called John Bucknell, who was sent out there actually to to take Gad out. Um, second minute, he smashed his jaw in four places, uh, both both clean clean breaks underneath each earlobe, and then down uh, down the points of your chin, he clean breaks through there as well in between your teeth and all through the uh, the jawbone as well. So yeah, all clean breaks and. Um, and he knew he'd broken it straight away, and he would push it into place throughout the game. And um, at one stage there, he, he, the story, uh, he tells a story. He walked out to his best mate, who was a winger, Michael Cleary, and said to him, um, you know, hold me up, don't let, me, let these guys know that I'm injured. And no one else knew in the team that, he was, that he'd broken his jaw. At halftime, he walked in, they went in the dressing shed, and, and his front row partner, John O'Neill, walked over him and said, listen, you've missed a couple of tackles. You need to pull your head in. We don't miss tackles. And when Dad turned to talk to him, his whole jaw fell apart in all three or four different angles. And, and Johnny O'Neill, the tough lurch, O'Neill nearly fainted. And the coach, the great Clive Churchill, who is now an immortal, um, he tried to stop him from going back out at half, after half time. But Dad ran out of the dressing shed, out onto the ground, so they couldn't get him um, and played the rest of the game. Now, many call it bravery. Other people call it stupidity. Uh, you wouldn't be allowed to do it today. But, uh, yeah, it's gone down in folklore as a a pretty courageous moment, and in the end, they end up going on a winning that, that grand final against Manly, and uh, yeah, he played the whole game with that shattered jaw, and spent uh, the next uh, week and a half in hospital with his, his jaw wired up, and um, and was met the captain of the 1979 World Cup team that year, and now 1970 World Cup team that year, and unfortunately, you know, couldn't be selected because of uh, the shattered jaw, so yeah, it's, you know, it's gone down in folklore, and he's, um, I can tell you, and growing up as well, uh, as his son, I've seen plenty of people um, post his career, try and challenge him in the pub that we owned and lived in over many, many years. And they always came off second best. So uh, <laughs> it was a pretty colourful childhood. Oh, mate, I, I can. Oh, that's a hell of a story. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that you, you related it with. And I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, I'm hoping your dad uh, can, can enjoy this weekend. I can tell you, uh, there's another slight fairy tale. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. Um, but. <clears throat> From our point of over here, uh, of course, Scott, uh, Benji Marshall uh, plays uh, in this mm. grand final 16 years after his last uh, going. Uh, that goes down in history as something for us. I mean, he's a guy we thought for all intents and purposes, he'd come to rugby union, for goodness sake. We thought his league career was done and dusted, and here he's back on the biggest stage. Yeah, he's a tremendous young man. I was fortunate enough to play with Benji in his last in my last year of rugby league, was his first full year. He made his debut in 03, but 04 was his first full year as an 18-year-old. And what a tremendous young man, highly intelligent, um, had good enough grades in school to, to go into the, the medical field, um, but went uh, went the path of rugby league. And I'm glad he did, um, because he'll make a tremendous coach when he retires. But he's been the greatest Kiwi rugby league player we've ever seen. He's had the greatest influence on the game overall, on Kiwi kids, but also Australian kids as well. Um, and it's all about Wayne Bennett. He's the one that you know, convinced Benji after a phone call from Benji to Wayne Bennett one day. Just said, "Listen, I think I've got another year left in me. What do you think?" And Wayne said, "Well, you're going to play number 14 each week, which is on the interchange bench, and we'll just see how it goes." He plays for minimum wage, $120,000 a year, um, and I think could be the potential X factor on Sunday night. To be quite honest, and uh, he's just a tremendous athlete, a great guy. You know, he's, he's, he's so. Um, so humble in everything he does uh, around the game. He's great with the supporters, and um, 
and it's another fairy tale story you know, that um, you know, a young Kiwi kid comes over at a very young age to Keebler Park, a school on the Gold Coast, to, to test himself and ends up being one of the greatest players we've seen in the modern era. And definitely, I think, the, the greatest Kiwi player we've ever seen above you know, Mark Graham and, and Stacey Jones and Ruben Wickie. Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, mate. I, I know it's a huge week for you, the build-up and uh, the expectation and then the actual performance uh, uh, come Sunday night. Enjoy it. Uh, relive those moments for you, and uh, particularly if you get a chance, and I'm sure you will, um, relive it with your, with your old man. Sounds like a fantastic relationship you've got there. Uh, look forward to um, getting your show, Sports Day, on the app as well, along with Gary Belcher. Uh, enjoy the week, mate. I, I know it's just, just not about the game. It's about the history and your part of it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Smithy and, um, and SENZ. And I want to say good day to all my uh, my in-laws who are listening on the on the app there at uh, Omaru, Timaru, Nelson, Christchurch, uh, Lower Hawaii as well down the South Island. So good day, everyone. Thank you very much. And we'll never, ever... Uh, Never ever think about those South changing rooms with anything other apart from respect now, okay? <laughs> I can't walk in them either. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Been a, been a joy. Thank you. 11.21 here uh, on SENZ. What a character. I mean, aren't there so many of them in rugby league? But that story and that pride you could hear coming talking about uh, his father's exploits in the game and the bravery... That's my old man. That's my old man. You could just hear it coming through. And he's a medal winner himself. Outstanding. Uh, 11.22. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Eleven twenty-seven here on SENZ, and John, that music says you've got something hot off the press for us. Yeah, good mate, Andrew Voss, who we didn't catch up with this week, but uh, obviously hosts SEN in Sydney, the breakfast show over there, and Brisbane have a COVID case, Smithy, and this is the place where all the sport is being played. The NRL Grand Final, uh, Queensland in general, is where the rugby championship is, and the NRL Grand Final, they were thinking is in doubt for this weekend, but they've had some uh, Junos on Vossi's show, and it sounds like at this stage, no suggestion that it's going to be moved or postponed from Suncorp Stadium, but Smithy, from being in Auckland, we know with the Delta variant, that thing moves extremely quickly, so they're on red alert in Queensland over the sport up there. It has been a safe haven, but we'll have to just see how this story develops. Yeah, we will. We'll watch that throughout the week. Um, not, not good news. Uh, more texts. Dan, uh, Don Clark, Daryl Halligan, Hazram El Masri, and Hugo Porter, says Mike. Paul comes in with James Maloney as mine. Um, uh, Steve says the best goal kicker is a no-brainer. It's DC. Dan Carter, he's got the world record for the most test points scored, and the bulk of those points have come from the boot, and the record is miles higher than anyone else's on the planet. Uh, also coming in... Fellas, our top four goal kickers, DC hands down the best, followed by Grant Fox, Daryl Halligan, and Jonathan Davies, of course, from Wales, and of course, went to rugby league and was particularly uh, successful there. And Mike comes in on a slightly different tangent. The success of South really makes you think uh, where the Warriors would be if Russell Crowe had brought into them. Surely his template of ownership is the one to follow. So, uh, yeah, interesting. More, more texts. Um, uh, we'll read them after the, the break, of course. Uh, we're going into 
um, the news, uh, and also um, you'll remember uh, that we're going to do our <coughs> our Mount Rushmore of the four great goal kickers. John and I are going to have our five cents worth. You won't like them. You won't like mine. I can tell you that. But you might like to win some money off us, and uh, I do believe there's a hundred bucks of TAB vouchers up for grabs. One hundred dollars worth of TAB vouchers if you can stump me uh, after the news. Good luck. Get those phones a ringing. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, Smithy got the stumping on the last question yesterday, which means we're jackpotting to 100 bucks from the TAB today. And we do have Brenton from Auckland. You were quick, mate. You're first in line. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Awesome, and uh, we're doing our Mount Rushmore today on top four goal kickers. Um, who's your favourite goal kicker in either rugby league, rugby union, or even American football? Oh, can't go past probably Hazem Almazari back in the day, a big league follower. Yeah, I reckon El Magic Smithy, I reckon he's probably leading. If we're going for a text poll, I'd say he'd be uh, top of the tree. Yeah, uh, but doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be on my list or your list, John, but uh, I think uh, he's a very popular choice out there. Okay, Brenton, uh, you're, you're trying to get away from the fact that this is $100 you're playing for today. Don't, don't worry about the pressure, mate. Don't, don't go all Geordie uh, Barrett on us. Don't worry about that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit scared, mate. You're on a bit of a roll too, stumping people on the last question. Yeah, absolutely. He is on fire. So your sports today, Brenton, are football, rugby union or boxing. Which one are you going to go for? I'll go watch Smithy going to know the least of. I'll go, I'm not, <laughs> none of those are my sports that I like, but uh, I'll, go, I'll go rugby union. Rugby union, all right. I think Smithy knows a fair bit about rugby union. What normally is your sport? Yeah, I know. Uh, league and golf. Ah, uh, unlucky, mate. Well, let's see how you go. It's a go. All right, Brenton, under all sorts of pressure. Three questions right for 100 bucks from the TAB. Rugby union is your category. The first question is, what is Jack Goodhue's first name? It is not Jack. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say... I don't know, actually. Uh, I'm going to have a stab in the dark. I'll call him... Uh, Edward or something I'm Edward or something Starts with an E Starts with an E I'm sure I've, I remember looking at it on uh, Back in the day when he made the All Black uh, Oh I don't actually can't remember it. Uh, Alice or something Alice, Elias Edward or Elias or something like that Just a couple of chips down the wicket Right in the slot And away it goes Thinking out loud and you have got it. Elias. Elias Jack Goodhue Smithy. He's pulled it out of nowhere under pressure. Oh, good God. Um, I wouldn't have got that. So, uh, he's done exceedingly well, Brenton. On that kind of form, yeah, I, uh, you're a, a hot fake. Something, something I read a, year, a while ago when he made, first made the All Black. I vaguely remembered it. Isn't it funny Good the way on, your mate. brain works, how probably some vital piece of information fell out of your head and in replaced it with Elias Jack Goodhue. So you've probably forgotten someone's birthday or anniversary or something and it's been replaced with Elias. Brilliant. Don't All right. about that, mate. Okay. Question number two. Where will the 2023 Rugby World Cup be held? Uh, that is France by me. Here he goes. 
all the way up into the stand. What a hit into the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. That was a gummy, Smithy. Yep, absolute gummy. That was a 12-inch putt that even I wouldn't miss. That was stone cold. <laughs> all right, for 100 bucks from the TAB. Everyone remembers Johnny Wilkinson winning the 2003 World Cup with a drop goal. Who scored England's only try that day? Oh, oh. Um, a little negative hooker, I think. I can't remember his name, though. I don't, I don't actually know. I can't even remember that long ago. <laughs> All right, we'll go with... Feet everywhere. Body nowhere, yeah. and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. A no answer. So, Smithy, can you do it? Back-to-back mm. days have ruined someone's dream, and it'll be 150 bucks on the line tomorrow. Was it a right foot drop goal or left foot drop goal? I can't remember. I can't um, remember. Anyway, that's, that's nice diversifying. and I, I've got to say, um, if he's got a, a little stony-faced, snuggety hooker, uh God, I was going to say Steve Borthwick, but I'll go earlier than that. I'll go, I'll go Brian Moore. One of the worst things I have ever seen oh. done on a cricket field. Not correct. He made your top wingers of all time, Smithy. Little Jason Robinson. I think he was playing fullback that oh. day for England, which means Brenton. Oh. Congratulations, yes. mate. Yes, I thought he was going to get me on the last run. Oh. <laughs> you beauty, Smithy. Thank you. <laughs> hey, hey, well done, Brenton. Stay on the line. That's stay on the line, my friend. Uh, and uh, stay on the line. We'll get your details. 100 bucks to play yeah. with today and over the next couple of days. Uh, enjoy it, mate. Absolutely enjoy it. Don't, I, don't, uh, I don't really regret giving anyone from Auckland anything at the moment. It's, uh, it's just endless. And I, it's just, I mean, I'm done with it. Uh, uh, best goal kickers in the world, Grant Fox, Gerald Bosch. Uh, the Beaver, says Ken. The Beaver. He won the World Cup. Really? Yeah, really? I mean... You're asking the, the honestly, ring his show this afternoon. Would he have preferred to kick that goal or would he have preferred to stay white baiting? Uh, get the honest answer from him. That would be my question there. 11.37 here on SENZ. When we come back, more of your texts, uh, more of uh, your reaction. And of course, uh, John Day and I, I, with our Mount Rushmore of those four, of the best goal kickers that we've seen. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy, Dan Carter is the GOAT. Then Grant Fox, Matthew Ridge and Neil Jenkins to round out the Mount Rushmore of goal kickers. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Jordan comes in with Beaver is a legend. He prevented New Zealand going into a four-year depression by kicking one penalty. That's true. Uh, lucky you didn't mention you picked Manly in your multi when talking to the Southman Smithy. Yep, I'm very conscious of uh, my failings there. Uh, the best goal kickers in the world, Gerald Bosch, uh, is included in that. Uh, Nasport, a lot of South Africans, Percy Montgomery, because of course uh, they were very, very strong. Uh, there's one I'm trying to find. Here's one that I find a little bit off-putting, um, and I'm not sure it's from uh, who it's from, but here we go. I'll try and read it in the, in the voice that uh, I sort of received it in. Argentinian fullback Buffelli does it for me. Poetry, almost sensual. Have a good look at the guy. So smooth. Ah, eat your heart out, beaver. Oh my God, who sent that in? Not you, bro. Did you put your hand up, Brian? Did you send that in? Oh, God mighty. That's a bit rough. Uh, Don Clark, Hugo Porter, Daryl Halligan, Hazram El Masri. Uh, on another couple of issues as well, and we'll just steer away 
briefly from the goal-kicking side of things um, because uh, there is uh, always some thought, always some thought on the UFC at the moment. Good listening this morning, Smithy. Interested views on UFC, guys. But uh, the panel is spot on, talking about uh, Ollie Ritchie and Ricky Schwinnell this morning. Uh, those, uh, the gentlemen concerned seem to be a bit precious regarding their situation. Could you imagine Richie McCaw or Lisa Carrington making similar comments? Thanks, Sean. Well, no, I can't. Absolutely can't. You're there right there. Um, probably um, they, Richie McCaw uh, certainly would be looked at more favourably coming home from overseas. I promise you that. Uh, and Lisa Carrington would be as well. And uh, they probably should be. I think Ricky is slightly missing the point. City kickboxing is one of the top gyms in the world. The New Zealand athletes don't need to go overseas to train because we are best here. They are going overseas to train now simply because the New Zealand government isn't supporting them. Israel has more followers in Instagram than New Zealand, France, Australian, English and South African rugby combined. That's how big his brand is. Mm. Uh, we'll leave it at that. John, hit the button. Let's go for it. Star Spangled Banner, Jimi Hendrix, it's Mount Rushmore time. Today we have asked for your opinions and we're about to give ours on the four goal kickers that uh, that have uh, probably in the history of watching sport, to me anyway, been the most significant. I've a couple of, uh, of left fielders here you may not like. So my number four is this fellow, Justin Tucker. This is the guy you want, Greg. If, if you're in this situation, I can't think of a better option. This is for an NFL record 66 yards. On its way. It bounces off the crossbar, and it's good! Oh, oh my goodness! Oh, my goodness! <laughs> that is Justin Tucker. He is the goal kicker for the Baltimore Ravens. He started with the club 2012. He's still current. Has a career strike rate high in the 90s. A career strike rate high in the 90s. Now, okay, you say, yep, yeah, they're all in front. Of course they are. They're all in front, but they do go back as far as 66 yards. Uh, and they do have guys running at you and they, you do rely on the balance and the precision and the placement of a guy uh, who receives the ball and put it down perfectly for you so there you have it uh, you'll debate that till the cows come home we'll drink um, a million litres of the proverbial um, trying to argue against that one or for that one but there he is my number four Justin Tucker from the NRL uh, I like that Smithy I always get educated here um, and NFL goal kickers aren't guys I look at too much um, but that was a guy from last weekend I'm going way back into last century for my number four best goal kickers of all time Bob Scott was well into his 60s when he played for a team of ex-All Blacks in a golden oldies tournament and incredibly Scott showed he can still kick without his boot on The late, great Bob Scott uh, from the wartime era, 1940s, 1950s. And what I loved about Bob Scott, not only did he toe poke with those old heavy leather balls, but he did it in bare feet. And like you heard there from the, from the Mud and Glory tape with Phil Gifford, he used to do it in golden oldies as well when he was into his 60s, still toe poking the ball. The great Robert William Henry Scott Smithy, one of the great fullbacks in All Blacks rugby, and could toe poke a ball with his bare feet. So yep. that's why I've got Bob Scott Let in there. 
Yeah, absolutely justified in having him too out of the Patoni Club in Wellington. Oh, of course, uh, great Wellington rugby player, great All Black. Uh, I once believed, now this could be, I could be dreaming here, but I once believed I saw him do that with a tin can uh, at a goal-kicking <laughs> contest at Athletic Park. Brilliant. With a barefoot, kick a, kick a tin can over as well. So hmm, maybe I'm just dreaming there, but I, I have a memory of that somewhere along the line. Anyway, not far after him came this bloke, my number three. The All Blacks can't cross the Lions' goal line and excitement mounts as another penalty is awarded to New Zealand. This is a decisive kick and Don Clark takes it from 30 yards. For the sixth time he proves his worth and the game ends, New Zealand 18, British Isles 17. The Lions have shown themselves a well-knit team and New Zealand has won a narrow victory by Clark's powerful kicking. Well, if you're talking about goal kickers, great kickers over the years, how can you go past the guy who was known as the boot? How can you? Don Clark, the boot, born in Pihama, uh, played for Waikato and the All Blacks uh, passed away in South Africa at the age of 69, 781 All Black points, the record stood for 24 years uh, and that was him kicking us to victory at Carisbrook over the lines, a very, very famous victory that one, not uh, as pure as the game was these days but back then it was, I can assure you, DB Clark. The boot. Yeah, the boot. You can't argue with the boot. And um, opposition teams, he was that good. Smithy used to soak the balls in water overnight before playing the All Blacks to try and make them heavier so he couldn't kick them. Uh, he, he was a toe poker as well. Um, but mm. this next guy, I've gone for number three, will probably make a lot of people angry because he's a lot of people's number one. Trailing by one to win it. He's got it away. It has got the does it get any better in rugby league? Rabs Warren with Hazamel Mazari combination. Just so good. And one of those guys, Smithy, I mentioned it before, just had a routine and you knew from a certain side of the field, the right-hand side for our magic, that he was just going to nail them. And that one was to win the game, I think, in the finals. Uh, and he just turns his back straight away. He knows where the ball's going. Just one of the pure goal kickers I've ever seen, Hazamel Mazari. And you could always, like in rugby league, four points turning into six is so important. And he played a massive role in that for the Bulldogs. So my number three, Hazamel yep. Mazari. Yeah, well, he's my number two, John. So we do agree on that, Hazamel Mazari. Uh, uh, born in, who would have ever thought that someone born in Tripoli in Lebanon would end up being one of the great goal kickers in the NRL? But uh, he certainly was uh, faithful to the Bulldogs. 2,418 points, six times, six times the NRL leading point scorer. Uh, I mean, and a very high standard, he stood out like a beacon. So I have to say it, Hazem El Mazri is my number two. Who's yours? All right, my number two is this fella. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> that is unbelievable. That's a boomerang. The boomerang kick, so famous for the Crusaders, where he shot it out to the main stand. It looked like it was going over halfway and then just bent it through the post. Of course, that's Dan Carter I'm talking about. Could just do things with the ball that no one would expect off the tee. Uh, if there was a wind going a certain direction, he'd know which way it was going. He was like a uh, like a mad scientist with his goal-kicking smithy, I thought. Just maybe not... He probably didn't have the best percentage out of everyone in world rugby, but when the heat was on and the conditions were tough, that's when Dan Carter, I thought, got even better. I was going to go him or Johnny Wilkinson, but I thought Johnny Wilkinson was probably a better drop-kicker than Dan Carter, but off the tee, I reckon Dan Carter. So he's my number two. Number one, Smithy. Here we go. Well, listen... 
people will laugh at this and people won't like this, but here's the guy. Here's the guy that, for me, he was a go-to-the-fridge goal kicker. And what I mean by that was when the All Blacks were awarded a penalty, you might as well go to the fridge because you knew damn well it was going to go over. He was never, ever making you nervous in terms of kicking the goal at the right time. So there you have it. Here is my number one goal kicker. Time is virtually up on the clock. Grant Fox can win the test match with this kick. Grant Fox, Lancaster Park, 1993, to beat the Lions. How often did he do it? We could have gone through the annals of history and picked out any number of kicks. But Grant Fox, for me, is a number one. A 46 uh, all-black appearance, 644 points. 14 points per game. 187 or 189 games for Auckland, 2,746 points. 14 points per game. Mr. Reliable, Mr. Consistent, Mr. Go to the Fridge, because it's all over, Grant. Thank you, number one. Yeah, and that was the most important thing in those days, Smithy. It wasn't running the ball, it wasn't scoring tries or anything like Dan Carter did. It was kicking your goals. And I was there that day, ran on and got the sand. Uh, because people used to kick with sand. Because my number one, I don't have the audio, uh, is Daryl Halligan. He changed the way goal kicking was done. He brought in that plastic tee and he could just kick them from anywhere. Still coaches goal kicking in the NRL, Smithy. He is, I think, the beacon of rugby league goal kicking and former rugby union player as well, probably where he learnt the trade. So for me, number one, Daryl Halligan. He is the benchmark and he still teaches all the goal kickers today. Brilliant. Enjoyed it. Absolutely enjoyed the reminiscing. Love Mount Rushmore every Tuesday. We'll do it again in seven days' time. It is 11.53 here on SCNZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.58, just time to pop across to uh, Mark Stafford, who's in charge, of course, from midday onwards for the following four hours, Staffy. Um, Tuesday's usually a quiet day for us, but we've had a busy time. Really enjoyed talking uh, a bit of rugby league this morning and our great goal kickers. What have you got lined up? Yeah, it's a bit of a reflective day, still in sort of a bit of review mode, Smithy. So we've got Tony Johnson after the news uh, with talking about this Waikato coaching appointment, which is quite different for the New Zealand framework. We'll get his thoughts on the All Black test, uh, the disappointing All Black test for a lot of people. We're going to the ESPN golf rider Bob Harrig on a review of the Ryder Cup and what he sees the future of the Ryder Cup. Kevin Barry um, with that massive win by Alexander Usyk in the weekend and what that does to the heavyweight landscape as well. And we're hoping to get someone around the Phoenix as well. We just haven't had it confirmed yet. We're always trying though, Smithy. Never stop trying. Never. Ever. Mm. <laughs> Never stop trying. Yeah, that was a surprise announcement this morning to have him retire because he was very much the backbone of the defence, the, the, the new sort of Durante, Andrew Durante. So I uh, look forward to listening to, to staff this afternoon, folks, uh, as we head... Right up to the news now at midday. Thanks very much to Trudy. Uh, as always, just rock solid. Just staggering stuff. Definitely in the four greatest newsreaders of all time. Uh, Brian, Brian, absolutely fantastic this morning. Get everyone up on the, the line. And JD, you suffered a bit from those texts, but they love you out there, mate. Don't get this one. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for sport.